This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The U.S. and Malaysian governments are looking for billionaire financier Joe Lowe for his role in a fraud scheme involving Sovereign Wealth Fund 1MBD. Lowe and four of his business associates were charged with money laundering, among other things, in absentia in a Kuala Lumpur court earlier this year, earlier this week, excuse me, and arrest warrants were issued. The fraud, in part, involves the funneling of tens of millions of dollars to the United States. Goldman Sachs has now been implicated for their possible role in the scheme, which also included investments in the Hollywood film industry. Part of that money went for the production of the film The Wolf of Wall Street, ironically enough, about a corporate Wall Street financier. The story is still developing, but has been chronicled in the new book Billion Dollar Whale, The Man Who Fooled Wall Street, Hollywood, and the World. Bradley Hope is the co-author of the book with Tom Wright. Uh, Bradley covers uh, finance for the Wall Street Journal, and a pleasure to have him joining us right now. Bradley, great to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you. I, I guess give us a little bit of the backstory first on on how Mr. Lowe became involved in this. Well, so Joe Lowe is a incredible figure. You know, he he was um, when this whole thing got started. He was just a tw- a twenty something uh, financier with no who had never had a real job before. He, he straight out of Wharton, where he actually attended, he, um, he started his own private equity company and, and sort of became this up-and-coming wheeler-dealer in Malaysia. And one of the things that he picked up along the way is sort of a fascination with sovereign wealth funds. He, he met some people in Abu Dhabi and got to see how one of these, um, you know, amazing entities worked, you know, with all with their with their many billions of dollars and their great influence over investments and all kinds of things. And so he essentially he combined his wheeler dealer mentality with his with a gift for networking. And he he managed to get close with the prime minister's family in Malaysia at the time. But at the time, actually, he wasn't the prime minister yet, but he yeah. got in touch with the family and he, he convinced them to start their, a new sovereign wealth fund. Um, and rather than a sovereign wealth fund full of savings, it was a, it was a sovereign wealth fund that borrowed money to do its projects. And so, so he basically he, he got them to create this sovereign wealth fund, and he secretly controlled it from behind the scenes. I, did, did the prime minister, or well, later on the prime minister, did he realize what was going on? I think it's it's hard to know exactly what's going on inside people's minds, but it, it does seem that like in the very initial stages, the prime minister didn't know the full scope of what Joe Lowe was planning. Right. Um, over time, there's increasing signs of his awareness and his you know there's a lot of efforts to cover things up and that sort of thing. So it, it suggests a greater knowledge um, at the later stages than the beginning stages. But it, it appears from the title of the book, and, and you mentioned this uh, as well, that uh, Lowe had quite a love for gambling as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he had um, great appetites for all the for all the luxuries of the world. So he loved gambling, uh, especially baccarat, and he would he would easily in a night spend in the, in the millions of dollars at a casino. Um, you know, he loved nightclubs where he'd also spend a lot of money buying champagne. He loved buying uh, gifts for people. He, he was. I, I like to joke with my co-author Tom that um, probably at, during the peak years of Joe Lowe, he 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 accounted for. An actual percentage of um, Hermes Birkenbag sales and <laughs> Cristal Champagne sales, and and you know, I mean, he was that. That's where the title "The Whale" comes from, because when he started showing up in these nightclubs, they have a term. 
for a guy who can make their numbers in a night, and that's called they call them the whale. And they they do everything in their power. They, they would they would literally fly helicopters. You know, it doesn't matter what it takes to keep them in that club. And so I guess that that does show something about his personality as well. That you know he needed to have this attention. He needed to be a part of this in order to 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 be able to to do what he wanted to do. Yeah, I think he probably enjoyed planning the these these events more even more than actually attending them. Because he, he was really someone who was involved in every detail of a party that he threw, for example, down to the flowers and the glasses on the table and the types of alcohol that's being served. But it's also a strategic thing. It's not like it's just purely for enjoyment. I mean, his charm, in a sense, if you can call it that, was was that he was the guy that you would meet that would change your life. So if so, he could change your life in small ways or big ways, but a small way would be, you know, give you these life experiences that mm-hmm. you could never imagine. You know, so, for example, one of the parties he threw, he, he got all these celebrities together. They flew on a 747 that he chartered to Australia. They spent, uh, you know, a, a lovely week in Australia going gambling, being on, on like a yacht, you know, all that sort of thing. And then they did the countdown for, the, for New Year's, saw the fireworks, then they piled back into the 747. They raced across the earth and landed in Las Vegas only to celebrate New Year's again on the same night uh, in Las Vegas. And like that, that kind of thing, I mean, obviously it's not important for someone's life, but it's like, you know, pretty legendary party. On the other side of it, changing your life, he, hmm. he was extremely generous, it turns out, with other people's money. So, yeah. he, so if you were a, a co-conspirator in this whole scheme, you could go from somebody who was a salaried normal person to somebody who was a millionaire. Or if you were already a millionaire, you become a hundred millionaire. So he he had this transformative power in that sense. What is the state of the investigation uh, and looking for Mr. Lowe right now? So this thing has been going on for a long time. I mean, Tom and I really started covering this in 2015. That was when it really peaked, uh, or the initial peak. And that's when the FBI started a big investigation, and and since then, uh, all kinds of things have happened. But really, this year has been the big year for for developments. So, so Joe. So first of all, the Malaysian government changed in a in a complete surprise election, and that is what really initiated all the other changes because the old regime, where the prime minister who was close to this guy Joe Lo, he was covering everything up. He was preventing investigations. He was actively denying anything had happened. And so as soon as he's, the government changed, they opened everything up again, and they started cooperating with all the foreign investigators. And so things started to accelerate very quickly from there. So, so this year, that happened, the big election. The prime minister of Malaysia has been charged uh, with many, many crimes. His wife has been charged with crimes. They found inside their home um, like tens of millions of dollars of cash and tens of millions of dollars of jewelry and handbags and watches and things, really an incredible amount of luxury goods. And, and, and really an unexplainable amount. And then um, Jolo has been – so more recently, Jolo has been indicted in the United States. He's been indicted in Malaysia. There's a um, request for Interpol for him to be arrested. Um, Goldman Sachs' uh, partner, who was involved in this whole scheme, um, pled guilty in New York to basically the, his role in the scheme and confirmed the scheme was real. Um, another one of his Goldman colleagues it was arrested in Malaysia on a warrant from the United States. Right, and that's those are some of the big things that have happened. Um, obviously, a lot of actual arrests and things. And then there's there's this new development as well in the last um, last week, where a, a actually a former Justice Department kind of small time guy 
pled guilty to being involved as well. And at, while he was at the Department of Justice, he was helping funnel tens of millions of dollars into the United States to um, as, as money to use to lobby the U.S. government to, to cancel the whole investigation. We're talking with uh, Bradley Hope, who, who is a, a writer and reporter for The Wall Street Journal covering uh, finance. He is also co-author of the book Billion Dollar Whale, The Man Who Fooled Wall Street, Hollywood, and the World. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So what is the, the, the concern surrounding Goldman Sachs right now? now how how deeply uh how deep into this are they so so what's what's going on with goldman sachs is they played this crucial role so one mdb this sovereign wealth fund that jolo kind of thought up and ran from behind the scenes in malaysia it had no savings it just had it basically just raised money on its on its kind of sovereign status so people would lend to it thinking you know the, the government of malaysia is behind this they're going to make do on any debt payments they have to do so it, it amassed all this debt, and the, the, one of the biggest set, chunks of the debt was raised by Goldman Sachs. It was three bonds worth six and a half billion dollars, and and they probably raised over the life of the fund thirteen billion dollars. So it's a little bit close to half. Right. And um, so, what, now what's funny about that that debt that they raised is Goldman Sachs got paid on that approximately six hundred and fifty million dollars in fees and and related uh, profits, which is an extraordinary profit. You know, on a on a bond issuance, you might typically see about one percent. This was ten percent. And wow. now they've said, "Listen, the client wanted it fast and, and confidential." But what, what? So, so that's kind of that's obviously under under scrutiny. Is how did how did this deal come about? Were there red flags? And and in in our view, there was many red flags. But there's also separately just the role of this guy Leisner, who was a partner at Goldman Sachs. Is not. You know, that's like the highest echelon of Goldman Sachs is a partner. And he was, he, according to the, his guilty plea, he received $200 million in like shell accounts and, 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 you know, offshore accounts and stuff. And he paid bribes onto other people. So he was really a core active corruptor in this deal. And in meanwhile, he was kind of constructing these bonds. So there's a lot of questions about Goldman's oversight of right. his own employees and how do they look at red flags? Like, for example, one of the bond issuances, Goldman, um, OneMDB said they wanted to, when they when the money is raised, they said please place it in our Swiss bank account. <laughs> and um, a lawyer for for Goldman Sachs actually wrote a letter saying, I'm a little bit nervous about this. Like, why does OneMDB have a have an account at a small Swiss bank that yeah. that almost exclusively deals with individuals, not giant sovereign wealth funds? You know. And so there's lots of that stuff that's that's being looked over and scrutinized, you know. And I think I think that there's really kind of a coalescing belief that at, at a minimum, Goldman Sachs will have to forfeit all of those profits, the 650 million. But also, there's so many different regulators looking at it. There's also civil litigation against Goldman Sachs, for example, by one of these Abu Dhabi sovereign wealth funds that has a has a role in this whole affair. So people are wondering: are, Is Goldman Sachs going to really get hit pretty hard for this? Um, and and it's it's hard to say at the moment where that's headed, but it's it's headed somewhere. Well, we mentioned uh, the connections to Hollywood, and, and you mentioned uh, uh, Mr. Lowe wanting to kind of be in this lifestyle and uh, the connections that he made. I guess that's part of, of the reason why he was able to invest in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Well, back in um, 2009, that's really when the, the 1MDB affair first took off. That's when the first billion dollars was sort of siphoned away. 
uh, or 700 million of it. And uh, within within weeks of getting that money, Jolo was in Las Vegas with Leonardo DiCaprio, like hanging out with these Playboy playmates, playing baccarat. Um, so he was he wasn't shy about you know wanting to meet celebrities right away, as many as he could. And he he went on to become really well known among celebrities, including a lot of rap stars, uh, supermodels, you know, a lot of brand names, people like Usher, um, you know, Paris Hilton. So the so now his appeal to people is different. So for for someone like um, Paris Hilton, for example, he was he was a great friend to have because you you could really have a great time with him. But also he paid people appearance fees essentially to hang out with him or to go to his parties. Right. Yeah. They could they could make like a hundred thousand dollars in a night just as a as a fee. And people like Leonardo DiCaprio who are not as attracted to some kind of a fee like that, Jolo was was a potential source of film funding, and. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese had long been sort of obsessed with this idea of converting um, the memoir of Jordan, Jordan Belfort called The Wolf of Wall Street into a film. But the Hollywood production houses were, were skeptical because it was very explicit. It, it, it kind of there, there was questions about whether it was sort of celebrating that lifestyle of, of the Wall Street excesses or actually, you know, was it that or was it kind of condemning it? Right. And so Joe Lowe said essentially with his friends that they would just write a check for the whole thing and and they <laughs> they did so they, they 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 were a there was an open they were an open checkbook for that film and you know and there's a lot of little funny details like for example Martin Scorsese who's obviously a great director he wanted to crash a real Lamborghini and you know in a lot of films they, they would, that would be an area where they would try to avoid crashing a real Lamborghini. Yeah. They would find like an already wrecked one or a model or whatever that might be. But he convinced them that we need to wreck a real Lamborghini. That's what that's what we need for this film. And they said, okay, go for it. You know, it, it's it's an amazing story. And, and I guess the, the obviously the U.S. government is is in the midst of trying to find him and and bring him to the United States. I mentioned the U.S. and Malaysian governments, but there are other governments that are in the, involved in this process as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other government that's really involved is Abu Dhabi, which is the, the, the capital emirate of the United Arab Emirates in the Persian Gulf. And um, so uh, one of the key kind of participants in the fraudulent part of this whole scheme was a, was a, um, a big wig there called Qadim al-Kubaisi. And basically, so what, what, the way it worked was when 1MDB was raising this debt, they they can they they did a deal with another sovereign wealth fund in Abu Dhabi where that that Abu Dhabi fund guaranteed the 1MDB debt and that that you know ostensibly would allow them to raise money at a cheaper rate and they were ostensibly going to give some options to this other fund that would become valuable to them but what actually happened was they guaranteed this thing and then they they did this complex transaction where they kicked back um, a, a vast portion of these bonds to a a company that was sort of like an off-balance sheet vehicle belonging to that Abu Dhabi fund, and it was only known by this guy, the top guy at at, at that company, at, at the Abu Dhabi company. He's he was only one of the only two people who knew about it, and so basically, they were able to to, to steal a lot of money, billions of dollars, and and he received about five hundred million dollars for for that role. And so, that's another big embarrassment for the, the government of Abu Dhabi, and he's actually in prison there. Um, awaiting charges. 
We're joined by Bradley Hope, uh, who is the author of the book or co-author of the book, Billion Dollar Whale, The Man Who Fooled Wall Street, Hollywood, and the World. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So you alluded to this before, but I wanted to to bring it back up, is this plays out over a several-year period and I guess the question for a lot of people is, if there were signs that, that this was going on, why wasn't this action stopped earlier on? Well, the, the answer to that is, is so – there's so many reasons, right? There's, there's auditors who look the other way in Malaysia. There's, you know, government officials who, you know, allowed this to happen. There's, there's bankers that sort of – tried not to look too deeply into it because because everything about 1MDB and everything about Joe Lowe was, was immensely profitable. If you're a bank working with him, if you're a law firm working with him, if you're anyone, you're just, this is the best client you ever had. And I think that is the core reason why ultimately it kept going and going and going, despite red flags, despite even kind of rumors in Malaysia, like something's wrong with this fund. Yeah. doesn't make sense. You know? it, it also, I mean, it does, we talk about issues surrounding the banking industry, and obviously there have been many of them over the last decade, but this really does highlight some of the issues uh, of banking in other parts of the world right now. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and, and so many of the people that were participating in this were working for big banks that are regulated by the United States. So, so it's not really even purely a, a kind of a frontier market problem. It's a core market problem that, that essentially it's possible to game the system so, so completely that you can, you can just transfer billions of dollars around that it was all stolen. You know, it's, it's a pretty incredible um, you know, thing for people to reflect upon in the, in the financial industry. What is the expectation? I mean, is there an expectation that we will see him, uh, Mr. Lowe, brought to justice at some point? I, I guess not at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, so if you look at the different phases, there's the beginning, which is like, you know, the creation of the fund, the living large. Then there's sort of the collapse of it, the investigations beginning. And then there's this period where he's kind of on the run, developing these, what it turns out now, these really deep relationships with the Chinese government. Yeah. So he's, he's believed to be in China and, and under their protection. And the, the reason for that is that he, he managed to um, turn the, the 1MDB crisis into an opportunity for China. So in, in Malaysia, the, the prime minister had this problem. There was money missing. He was telling people it wasn't missing, and he was kind of relying on that to be the case, to be reelected. And so China stepped in and, and was um, participated in all these infrastructure deals that allowed them to kick back money to the to, to the government, and they used that to plug some of the holes and for him to kind of show that there's nothing here, there's no consequence to this. It's all like a, a conspiracy. It's not real. And and in exchange, Malaysia tilted very strongly towards towards China, and so it, it's just it kind of keeps taking these higher higher stakes um, scenarios in, in the in the whole affair. And so because of that, I think it's hard – it might be hard for China to give him up, even if they want to, because his, what he knows about China's role in that and how they did it and their, the mechanics of it is very sensitive. So there's two schools of thought. One is that they'll do a deal, China and Malaysia, and the other school of thought is that he'll – just stay in China for a really long time. You also uh, spent some time in the book talking about uh, some of the people involved in the investigation, including one of the special agents with the uh, with the FBI, Bill McMurray, as well. 
Yeah, well, th- th- those guys are um, harder for us to know a lot about because, you know, th- that investigation is still ongoing. But in, in the course of all of our reporting, we were able to learn more and more about these the investigators leading this up. And they must be having such an incredible time because this investigation, you know, your typical white-collar crime investigation, it might be exciting, but it, it's a lot of it's kind of mundane, you know, financial research. Yeah. This case, every time it looks like it's going to quiet down, it, it just steps it up a notch, you know. It goes from a financial crime to a uh, an international like espionage case, or or and recently in the United States into a an effort to corrupt people close to the the, the presidential administration. You know, this is it keeps kind of escalating. So uh, we don't really know what's to come. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm nothing will surprise me. I guess you you mentioned that obviously he has the connections in the banking industry and 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 obviously in Hollywood, but I would imagine he's got uh, Mr. Lowe probably had a lot of connections in in other sectors as well. Well, in government, especially. So, for example, he he after. So, I guess it, maybe it's like a, a the phases of wealth. At one point, he realized, okay, I got all the money in the world, I got all the celebrity friends, but what I really interested in is political power. And so, he there was there was a time where he became sort of obsessed with the Obama administration, and he got close with some of these um, fundraiser types that were in, instrumental in the Obama campaign. Right. And th- and he did some deals with those guys, and, and and in the end, he he was able to visit the White House attend the holiday party, and he arranged for um, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and uh, Martin Scorsese and this other um, co, co-filmmaker to go to the White House and present an early copy of The Wolf of Wall Street to <laughs> President Obama. So, you know, it, it, it's and, and even now within Asia, within um, the Middle East, he really became interested in those in the powerful people and figuring out how they could be useful to him and him useful to them. But it is amazing that, it, you know, the, the lifestyle – that that he was living is obviously it's an it's an amazing aphrodisiac that when you're able to have connections to that money and be able to make it work for what you need it's it, it's an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. Although there's also kind of a sad side to, to it all because you know he so he lived this crazy lifestyle. He he had a private jet and he would circumnavigate the globe every six weeks, just going from place to place, staying in hotels, you know, penthouse hotels and apartments and things. And and I don't get the impression that that he was particularly well. You know, like he started becoming a bit ill. He couldn't sleep properly. Had to have like one of these machines to help you sleep when you have uh, sleep apnea. Right. And uh, he became kind of more overweight. Like I don't know. There's kind of a there's kind of a an obvious downside to this. And even even today, uh, our best understanding of him is that he he kind of lives a a frantic lifestyle. He's got all these phones before him, like six or seven phones. And he's constantly talking to people, wheeling and dealing, trying to basically last another day, keep this thing going, and but doesn't really sleep, you know, doesn't really do anything else but other than to kind of prolong this affair and then maybe wander around and, and kind of eat a lot of fast food. So it doesn't sound that luxurious after all. Bradley, it's it's a fantastic book, and and I get a sense that we're going to be seeing this on the big screen at some point because it's an it's an amazing story. Yeah, well, actually, the um, the the people who made um, crazy rich Asians called Ivanhoe. They actually are planning to make it into a film. So, so we'll be seeing that in the next few years as well. Yeah, Bradley. Thanks very much for giving us your time today. Greatly appreciate it, and uh, continued success with the book. And we look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Bradley Hope, who uh, with uh, Tom Wright uh, has authored the book uh, Billion Dollar Whale, and as he just mentioned, it's going to be a movie at some point uh, down the road. 
Many thanks to him for uh, joining the show. Billion Dollar Whale, by the way, a book that is uh, available online and uh, in bookstores for your purchase right now. And it's it is an amazing story. It's it's an incredible story of wealth and corruption. And uh, no surprise, it probably will do well at the box office because it's just the type of story that usually does. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.